0: A whelk can ruin an oyster's day. I don't know if you know what a whelk is, but a whelk is an ocean creature that has an appendage like a corkscrew, and it'll get on top of the oyster shell, and it drills a tiny hole with that corkscrew appendage, and then will eat the entire oyster that's inside, little by little, until it's completely empty. Doubt is just like that. Doubt has a way of drilling a hole into our spiritual life and can literally suck us dry spiritually if we're not aware of what the enemy is doing. I want to ask you this morning, do you live with confidence or with doubt? Do you feel weak or strong? Are you secure or insecure? Are you sure or unsure? Are you full of fear or are you courageous? Well, today, I want to help you know how you can have confidence. Sounds like a good title for a self-help book, doesn't it? But I promise you that what God has written is far greater in helping you with confidence than any self-help book that you could read. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, and John is going to address his readers and us in helping us learn how to live with confidence and understand it in the context of really what he's talking about. So if you're a guest today, I'm glad that you're here. Maybe you were here last Sunday as a guest, and you heard the Vision 23, and now you want to kind of come hear a a regular sermon uh, that I'm doing today. I'm going through the book of 1 John. And we're in the early days of that and so glad that you're here as a guest as we study through this great book and I think we'll be very applicable today to where we live. First John chapter 2, John of course is writing uh, to several churches in Asia Minor and this is what he says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have had victory over the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you were strong. God's word remains in you, and you have had victory over the evil one. And I want to stop there. This is going to be a two-part sermon. I'm only going to share the first point. There's two points. I'm only going to share one point. There's 3 subpoints that we'll get to in a moment. But uh, the length of the sermon demanded that I break it up. And I really don't want to rush through the book of 1 John. And you'll understand why after hearing the message. Now, the question is, who is John addressing? He talks about children, young men, and fathers Some believe those are three separate groups that he's talking to in the churches there. But more than likely, it's probably the whole body of believers. He's using those in ways that they can understand uh, the points he's trying to make. Now, now what he's saying here is that, that there are elements of the Christian life that all of you are going to experience. And there may be a sense of growing and maturity with these different elements. But you'll understand today that these elements are something that you possess and will always possess regardless of your stage in life. Because when you read this, you can say, well, you know, when I'm a a, a young man, then I don't have to worry about what I had when I was a child from a spiritual standpoint. When I'm a father, I don't have to worry about what I had as a young man or what I had as a child. That's not really what he's saying. He's saying that all of these things, these three elements or these aspects of the Christian life, traits, are very important. They run concurrently in the Christian life. And so he's really helping the whole body of believers understand how you can have confidence in your Christian life. Now, ultimately, it doesn't matter uh, because the point that he's trying to make is this. He's, He's writing and addressing an issue of what we learned a few weeks ago false teachers who are uh, affecting these churches. They're known as Gnostics that you can have a secret knowledge with God, Remember, matter is evil so what you have spiritually is what's important. The spiritual being of Christ is what's important, not him physically, not the earthly body of Christ but but the spiritual connection that you can get through Christ and then you basically live life the way that you want to from a moral standpoint. It doesn't matter But what's really important is this spiritual knowledge that you can have. Sounds fascinating. Sounds interesting. And the problem is that a lot of these young believers in the churches were going with these false teachers. And he's saying this. If you do that, if you go with these false teachers who drilled that tiny hole in your spiritual life, they're going to suck you dry. They're going to leave you with a lack of confidence in your relationship with God. You're going to have no assurance and you're going to you're going they're going to render you ineffective in your Christian life. So he's trying to address them and help them understand what does it really mean to live with confidence and for us today. Now the first point is this that you live with confidence by having assurance of God and he addresses that in three ways. Number 1, he says that to know that you have assurance with God, you need to remember that your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Verse 12, <clears throat> your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Now the structure of this verse and several verses are important. Uh, the tense of this verb is, uh, is, is what we call the perfect tense. An aorist tense is a past action that has been completed. It's done with. Jesus died. That's past tense. He died, that's it. But the perfect tense says that You were forgiven at the point of salvation. That's something that happened in your past, but the results of that remain today. You were forgiven then, and you still are in a position of forgiveness right now. Nothing has changed, and you can't let anything come in to deceive you and believe that that has changed. You have been forgiven. In in fact, six times in these verses, He uses that tense of the verb to help them remember, here's what was happening when you were younger in your Christian life. And now that you're older in your Christian life, nothing has changed. And so the first point of this is the idea that your sins have been forgiven and that you remain forgiven. So he says that you've been forgiven of your sins. So let's talk about sin for just a moment. It's good to remember the history of sin and the process of sin. Adam and Eve were created, and they were placed in the Garden of Eden. They were created. They had no sin. And God put them in a perfect environment. And there they chose to sin against God. What was the tool that Satan used to cause them to sin? It was doubt. Did God really say... And he placed doubt in their mind. And what happened as a result? They lost confidence in God and in themselves and chose to sin against God. And that's what happens. When we begin to doubt God and doubt his word, then it leads us to begin to move away from God. So they chose to sin. the second stage then is that they had, uh, they had a sinful nature and everyone born has a sinful nature. So you have this bent towards sinning. Already, when you're born and then when uh, a certain stage in life that you do sin and the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sin and fallen short of the glory of God the word sin means to miss the mark so we've missed the mark the target of God's holiness God's perfection God's glory we've fallen short of that so we're imperfect people against a, a perfect God and the, the, the Old Testament law the perfect law of God was given to us, Paul says in Galatians, to expose our sin. No man can live up to the law. And so the law was given in the Old Testament to show that we're all sinners and that we fall short of the glory of God. So once that happens, then there's judgment. Romans 3.23 says all have sin." Romans 6.23 says for the wages, the payment of sin, is death. Now Paul would also say that... Uh, in Romans 6 23, you say that, but then in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that Bible says it's appointed for a man to die once and then comes the judgment. All right, then comes the judgment. No second chance, there's no interlude, there's no waiting, there's, there's no way to come back, there's no reincarnation and, and try it again. It's it, you die once and then comes the judgment. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 4. For the time has come for the judgment to begin with God's household. Now what does that mean? Judgment about our sin? No. In the context, he's talking about the suffering of Christians. He's talking about the testing of their faith. The word judgment here means the testing of your faith. Uh, You're going to go through the refiner's fire. Uh, You're going to experience and understand who you really are. and, and, And build on your confidence... In your relationship with God by the testing of your faith. So he says, now that begins with the household of God. We're going, we are going to be tested concerning our faith. So don't be surprised when that happens. It is going to happen. But then notice he continues, and if it begins with us, people of faith, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? Judgment. Judgment. And it's not, it's not a good result, it's severe. And so the point is that you could choose to sin, but you will be judged for your sin. Well then, bad news. We stand guilty and condemned before God. But God solved that problem in the Old Testament with the sacrificial system. The Jews would sacrifice an animal, and that would be the payment for their sin. Their sin would be atoned in that way. Uh, The Jews celebrate the Day of Atonement. All right. Once a year, the high priest would go into the temple and he would make that sacrifice for all the people of Israel. In the New Testament, the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second Adam, came as a sinless man, a spotless Lamb of God, who was the final sacrifice. No more sacrifices. That's the final sacrifice for the payment of sin. And so Christ died on the cross for our sin. notice that it says you have, you, have, you have known or have been forgiven on account of His name. Based on what He has done. Now, that's what we call the person and work of Christ. Whenever I refer to the person and work of Christ, we're talking about the sinless Son of God. And that He died on the cross as a payment for our sin. And that produces the next point, Salvation. God, by His Spirit, convicts us of our sin. We recognize our need for a Savior, and man responds by faith and by repentance as God reveals his sinful nature. And the result then of that is forgiveness. And that forgiveness, John says, is permanent. And that establishes your position in Christ. That's the only thing that will will make you right with God is who you are in Christ. Without Christ your sins are not forgiven therefore you pay for your own sin physically and spiritually. What's the result? No confidence. No confidence no assurance. Knowing that your sins are forgiven permanently gives you confidence. You don't have to think about that anymore. What's happened in the past? You don't have to worry about it. There may be consequences But your position stands permanent. And he said he was reminding them, don't go down that path of sin. Stay where you are in your position in Christ, where you stand forgiven. What else gives you confidence? Notice, secondly, that you know Jesus Christ. You know Jesus Christ. Remember, know, this is about the whole Gnostic thing, knowledge. He's really helping them understand. What is the true knowledge? Knowing Christ. Verse 13. You have come to know the one who is from the beginning. This is the Christological issue. He's reminding them of the preeminence of Christ. That Christ is one who existed in the Godhead before anything was ever created. And then he came and lived an earthly existence. He says you have to know the knowledge of the earthly Jesus. Not just his spiritual connection through a spiritual being. But you've got to know the one who came and died on the cross for your sin. Because his physical life matters. What he did here on earth makes the eternal difference for you. So don't go that other path about the secret knowledge stuff, about about what you know that's not going to lead you into the right relationship with God. So notice he says, you have come to know. There's that tense of that verb again. That you came to know him at salvation... And you still are in that position of knowing Him today. That's the deep, ongoing, abiding relationship with God through Christ. Again, that relationship is grounded in the historical, earthly Christ. His death and His resurrection. Not in any intellectual speculation that questions the historical Christ. If there's no Christ, there is no confidence. Paul said in 1 Corinthians... If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is worthless. Notice, you are still in your sins. In Christ, you are forgiven. Know Him. Now notice verse 14. You have come to know the Father. So notice what he's doing here. He's he's saying that the knowledge of God and the forgiveness of sins are integral. And those two promises are found in Jeremiah chapter 31. I want you to notice what Jeremiah says. I won't read all of it, but let me. This is, he's talking about the New Covenant. In just a moment, we're going to experience the symbolism of the New Covenant. The New Covenant. Now, here's what God says to his people. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. King James says, I like it better, thus saith the Lord. This is the Word of God. Look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke even though I had married them, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will place my law within them. It's not going to be written on tablets of stone. Not pages that we have that we read, but it's within them. And write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will know them, they will know me. The knowledge. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. The Lord's declaration. Notice, For I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember. Their sins. This is the promise of the new covenant. That they will know me because I will put put myself in their heart. I will be with them. They will be with me. And because of that, their sin will be forgiven. Jesus ties the old and the new with Jesus. I mean, God does through Jesus Christ. So the knowledge of God through Christ gives that assurance that we need. I know him. He knows me. He knows everything about me. He created me. As I've said before, it just makes sense that you would want to know the one who knows you better than you know yourself. He's going to tell you what you need to know about you. Nobody else can do that. Nothing else can do that. So the knowledge of Christ is critical. He is in me. I am in him. No knowledge, no assurance, no confidence. Now notice third, what else gives you confidence? You have won the battle. Verse 13 you have had victory <clears throat> over the evil one. Now, the word victory there, <clears throat> that word victory in the Greek language has made billions of dollars for a company. It's the word Nike, N-I-K-E. And uh, I don't know if they had any idea. I assume they did. But they—you they, know that, that Nike is on the apparel, on the shoes. And let me tell you, uh, wearing that stuff isn't going to make you win anything. It's not going to help you conquer anything. But what really matters is applying the truth that those who are in Christ have already won the battle. You already have victory. Notice, again, the tense of the verb. You have had victory. You had it at the point of salvation. Victory over sin and death. And you still are in that same position today. You had it and you still have it. You've withstood the attempts of the false teachers to lure you away. But I want you to notice who he's really talking about. He's not, he doesn't say the false teachers, the victory over the false teachers. What does he say? Over the evil one. Over Satan. John is not thinking of evil as abstract. It is real and it is personal. Satan is the one who's in charge of darkness and confusion and opposition to God. I had the opportunity to, uh, this week, Philip Davison, he uh, texted me and said, hey, the pastors, the networking pastors who we support and their wives are having a marriage retreat this weekend, which happened this past weekend. And he said, would you do a greeting and just share a word of encouragement to them in this marriage retreat setting? And so uh, I shared three basic points, and one of those was about this. And I said, you've got to remember that your enemy is not your mate. You're all going to go through the... Look, they're facing dire circumstances. And in the struggle of the circumstances of life, we often take it out on somebody else, don't we? Somebody we love. Usually it's the one we love the most. And so Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6 that our battle's not against flesh and blood. The problems that you're having with other people, look, it's not them. It's the enemy who's trying to drive a wedge. And he's reminding them that, look, the problem is not with these false teachers. It's the one who's behind all the false teaching. It's the liar. It is Satan himself. So whatever battle you're in this morning, the struggle, the deal is not about the person who you're dealing with. It's about about Satan himself and learning how to take authority over Satan, which I'll get to in just a few moments. So John reminds them. That this evil one has been defeated by Jesus Christ and is today defeated. He's not reigning and ruling over your life unless you allow it. We're the ones who are living in defeat because we're letting him have authority or power in our life instead of taking authority over him. Notice verse 14. I have written to you young men because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have had victory over the evil one. Now, he repeats what he said earlier in verse 13. You have victory over the evil one. But here in verse 14, he gives you two reasons for that. He said, first of all, you have spiritual strength. You are strong, and that strength comes from Jesus Christ. Paul would say, in talking about that spiritual warfare passage in Ephesians 6, The first verse there, verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. His might. Paul said in Colossians, I labor for this striving, agonizing, literally, with His strength that works within me powerfully. God said to Joshua, Haven't I commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged. Don't lack confidence. Don't doubt. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But they also have victory because of God's word. He says, God's word remains in you. This is the reason you have victory. It connects you with God. It defeats the enemy. Jesus used the word of God to defeat the devil in the wilderness. Three times he was tempted. It is written, it is written, it is written. Because that's where the power and authority is for your moral life. For your spiritual life. Whatever it is that you're facing, you can take authority over the enemy. So knowing the battle has already been won gives you great confidence. I see it for what it is. Notice John says, look at your position in Christ, which was secured as salvation. This is what happened then, but remember today, those results remain. You are forgiven. You know Jesus Christ, and you still know Him. You have won the battle, and Christ did it for you, and you are living out that victory in Christ. That's how you live with confidence. And so I say, well, Pastor, so what? Well, here are the next steps. Here are some things I want you to do and consider in applying the message today. Number one, thank God that your sins are forgiven. One of the ways that we get past... Reliving our sin is to stop and thank Him for what He's done. I may not like it. I I may not feel it. I may not feel secure about that. Did He really forgive me? The liar is telling you you've not been forgiven. But thank Him that you've been forgiven. And then accept it. Believe it. And act on it. And act on it even if you don't believe it. Feelings are a result of actions. And there are things that you have to do in your Christian life that you may not feel like doing, but you do it because it's the right thing to do, and that feeling will come. You'll, you'll eventually know and feel secure and confident that your sin has been forgiven. Remember, well, I'll get to that in a minute. So believe it. Believe it. Accept it. Act on it. Secondly, what are you doing intentionally to know Christ? If the extent of your knowledge of Christ is what you hear me say on Sunday morning, listen, please don't put that on me. Because the Holy Spirit can teach you a whole lot more with you opening your Bible and reading it, even though you may not fully understand it, but He can teach you far more than I ever could 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. But it's that rhythm that spiritual rhythm, that consistency. And God's going to reveal to you, yes, you need to come to church and you need to sit in a life group class and you need to have others help you understand what the Bible means and to grow in your understanding of the Scripture. But, but, but if this is all that there is, it's going to be very hard for you to have confidence in who you are in Christ. And the, God will be faithful through the Holy Spirit and through His Word to give you that confidence. So what are you doing intentionally about that? What kind of reading plan do you have? How are you spending time? How much time are you spending with the Lord? Again, not legalism, but, but look, that's where the power is in your spiritual life, through prayer and the study of God's Word. That's what's going to sustain you in the middle of the day, in that crisis moment. What am I going to do? And all of a sudden, something's going to happen inside of you where you're going to walk right through it. Knowing exactly what you need to do and how you need to do it, you'll know. You'll have the confidence. So what are you doing intentionally? Third, what battles are you still fighting which Christ has already won? What a waste of time and energy. Now look, I'm as guilty as anybody, but that's a total waste of time and energy if you're trying to fight a battle that's already been won. So give that to the Lord. Stop fighting it. The battle is mine, says the Lord. Give it to him. Listen, you know, I've been to the physical therapy a few times. And, uh, and I, you know, I had an injury on in my hand some time ago. Had to have surgery and I went through rehab. And I was told then, and I, I've seen it in other people. I've heard it. Other physical therapists say, you're stronger than you think. You can do more than you think you can. Have they ever told you that? Now, some of them may be lying, but, but, but they, they say that, right? You can do more. You're stronger than you think. You see, Satan has said, you're weak. You can't overcome that sin. So, so you've got to put him in his place. You've got to take authority over that. Paul says, take every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. You have Christ's power, and you have God's word. He doesn't want to hear anything about the blood or the cross or Jesus Christ, and when you invoke his name, and you stand on his authority, when the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee, he will do it. He will do it. And then, finally, attack the source of the struggle. Stop in the middle of your struggle right now, this morning, right now. Just stop and say, okay, wait a minute, what's really going on here? Where's the source of this issue? Whether it's a temptation or whether it's a a problem in a relationship or whatever else, Satan is the enemy. This person is not my enemy. And I'm not going to let the circumstances of life cause me to act in such a way that dishonors his name because it's not about this person. It's about Satan. Now, we begin to apply those things from God's Word. John makes it so simple, doesn't he? But I promise you, You're going to be able to gain confidence in your spiritual life. You're going to have confidence before others. And look, others will notice it. They'll begin to see the difference that Jesus Christ really makes in your life. I promise you that will happen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here today who would say, Pastor, the enemy, to be honest, he's drilled a hole. It's a tiny hole. But it's affecting my spiritual life. And it's taking the life out of me. I'm not saying you've lost your salvation. But you're you're losing your effectiveness. You've lost confidence in your spiritual life. And you may know the Lord and really love Him. But see see what's happening. This is a good word of warning that John gives us. This is how the enemy works. And, and, And stop him right now in his track. There might be some here today who would say, Pastor, when you were talking about the, the, the history and the process of sin, something inside of me said, you need to deal with this. That you really have not dealt with your sin problem. You've not accepted God's forgiveness, His grace and His mercy. Think of it. God didn't have to do this. He could have said, if this is the way you people want to live, so be it. But out of his love, he came here to die on a cross for your sin. His love is great. Why not this morning? Love him in return. A life of gratitude. Gratitude with the forgiveness that he's offered you so you may not be sure how all that happened. so when we sing this next song I'm going to invite you to come and one of our pastors will help you there might be others that God is leading you to become part of our church family where you can experience God's love in this place and God's help through his people that you learn how to live in confidence not because of who you are and not because of who we are but because of the God who is within us. Where we're all equal at the foot of the cross. That, 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 that's, that's the beauty of it. That we can be one in Christ. We'd love for you to be a part of what God's doing here at Linwood. There might be others that you just need to come and pray alone. you got a burden on your heart. If you want someone to pray for you, you let us know. Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness of your word. Lord, how you've reminded me again why it's so important I don't listen to the lies of the enemy. But Lord, I stand on the authority and the power of your truth. God, I pray you help these do the right thing right now. In Jesus' name, amen.